This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. The diversity of life is simply amazing at all levels of biological organization, from genes to cells to traits to species. And we can think about this in a variety of ways. There's 1.5 million species, and that's just the beetles. This jellyfish has 24 different eyes, and eight of these have lenses, kind of like our own eyes. The human body has 200 different types of cells, from eye cells to brain cells, etc. And this rice plant has 50,000 genes in its genome. And what is particularly amazing to me is that all these things, the rice plant and you and I, share common ancestry. So this diversity becomes even more interesting in light of this because it starts from common building blocks. And that is the question that drives my research, is how does biology innovate? How does biology start from common building blocks to lead to the riotous diversity of life that we see? And the answer to this might sound a little surprising, but for me, it comes from the philosopher of baseball, Yogi Berra. And he said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. And to me, that is the answer to the question of how life on Earth has diversified. When biology comes to forks in the roads, it takes it. And that's what leads to this riotous diversity that we see. And so I'm going to try to explain what I mean by that today. How does biology innovate? This is a research program that uh, my laboratory uh, focuses on. And today I'll talk about this from four different questions. First of all, what is the trait that we're talking about? And second, when did the trait originate? I have the trait in quotes because the trait is complicated. It's made of a bunch of parts. That leads to number three, which is where did the parts come from? And then finally today, I'm going to talk about uh, question number four. Does innovation at one level of biological organization spark innovation at another level of organization? The answer will be yes. The trait that I'm going to talk about today is bioluminescence, and specifically bioluminescence of this ostracod crustacean right here. So this is about the size of a sesame seed. This is a female, and you can see the embryos back in her brood pouch back there, and she's spitting out this glowing mucus. And they do this for a number of reasons, but I'm going to talk about this trait today and how it originated. First of all, what is this trait? What is ostracod bioluminescence? Well, it's created by two different parts. First is an enzyme, and second is a substrate. So this enzyme acts on this substrate uh, to add oxygen to the substrate, and then it gives off light as one of the byproducts. Um, The substrate is shown here. It's a small molecule that is produced by the animal itself. And the enzyme is a protein, and I'll talk about a little bit about where that protein came from evolutionarily. And so this is the trait, these two different parts, mixing together to produce light. So what does it do? What does bioluminescence do in these ostracod crustaceans? Well, it's used for defense and it's used for offense. 
First, defensively, it's used as an anti-predator display. These ashkaza, as I said, are smaller, about the size of a sesame seed, and if a fish bites it, the ashkaza spits out all this bioluminescent goo, scaring or disturbing somehow the predator, and then it gets spit out. So here is a cardinal fish, uh, the ostracod swims by, the fish bites it, and there's this large um, cloud of bioluminescent mucus produced by the ostracod itself as the fish spits out the ostracod. So again, using this as an anti-predator display. I'll point out quickly that this video was originally by Martin Dorn. Now, ostracods also use bioluminescence for offense. So not unlike terrestrial fireflies, ostracods, sometimes I call them sea fireflies, uh, the males create species-specific signals to try and attract females for mating. So each of these different patterns on this screen here shows a different pattern of light produced by a male. Some signal, uh, create signals going upwards, some downwards, some on diagonals, and they signal over different types of habitats, some over seagrass, some patch reef, some sand. And uh, this has led to uh, the fact that there are dozens of different species of these different sea fireflies all in the Caribbean Sea. And I'll show you a short video of one of these as well, again uh, by Martin Dorn. This is from Belize. Each line of dots is one single male producing a signal. And these tend to uh, entrain with each other. The, the multiple males will signal at the same time. You can see maybe over on uh, this side here that there's another species uh, signal, uh, males going up in a line. And so the males are producing this bioluminescence, these coded patterns like Morse code, trying to attract females of their species. So these two different uh, uses for bioluminescence in these ostracod crustaceans. So how is it made? How is this bioluminescence made? Well, it's uh, secreted mucus, as I've said, from an organ called the upper lip. Uh, so the upper lip, this is an ostracod shown in side view. The upper lip is sort of yellow. You can see it there. And then zoomed in over on the side is um, what the upper lip looks like. It's a collection of glands that push out uh, mucus as well as the enzyme and the substrate, mix it all together in this mucus outside the body, either for this anti-predator display or to create little dots of mucus as the male uh, creates a courtship signal. So that's what is the trait. Next, I wanna talk about when did this trait of ostracod bioluminescence originate? In order to figure that out, what we have done is we've traced the family history of these bioluminescent ostracods and compared them to their close relatives. Then we ask how many times did bioluminescence arise? How many times did it originate evolutionarily in this group? And then we can ask by uh, comparing the fossil record as well as the genes of these animals, when did the bioluminescence arise? And uh, it's older than I expected. Now, to figure this out, we collected these species from all around the world. These are the places we went to in the Caribbean, uh, Jamaica, Roatan, Belize, Florida, Puerto Rico, Curaçao, and Panama. And uh, we also went to other places in, in the rest of the world as well. And this was a collaborative team. All, uh, many of our collaborators shown here and some trips from our field work uh, all throughout the world collecting these animals. 
Uh, and then we determine their gene sequences to compare them and figure out their family history to see how many times bioluminescence arose and to see when the traits um, originated. So this is a family tree of the ostracods shown here. I have colored in blue the species that are bioluminescent and colored in black relatives that are not bioluminescent. You could have, ma of, could have imagined a, a different answer, which is that the non-luminous and the luminous ones might have been all mixed up one after the other. But that's not what we found. We found that all the bioluminescent species are each other's closest relative. So we take this to mean that bioluminescence originated only once within this group. And then uh, this is based on gene sequences, comparisons of gene sequences, but we also used fossil record to calibrate the timing of the events of this change um, from non-luminous to luminous during evolution. So the question is, when did ostracods take a fork in the road? So here they, the ostracods split off into uh, multiple species, from on this side of the fork, they gained bioluminescence. On this side of the fork, uh, they did not have bioluminescence. Based on our comparisons with the fossil record, this change happened, our best estimate is 267 million years ago. So quite an old event. So that is um, when bioluminescence itself originated. What about this uh, courtship signaling? Well, not all of these ostracods do this courtship signaling behavior. Only a subset do. So here I've colored the ones that use bioluminescence for courtship in dark blue and kept those that uh, only use it for anti-predator displays in light blue. So again, you can see all the ones that use bioluminescence for courtship uh, are each other's closest relative. There is actually one there that is light blue there. That one lost uh, bioluminescent courtship. But all the ones that have it are each other's closest relative, again, indicating that bioluminescent courtship in these animals only evolved a single time. And again, took a fork in the road. So uh, on one side of the fork, these ostracods gained this ability to use bioluminescence for courtship. On the other side of the fork, um, they uh, never had that ability to use bioluminescence for courtship, instead only using it as an anti-predator signal. And this fork happened about 213 million years ago. Again, we're very surprised at how old this was. All of these animals that use bioluminescence for courtship live in the Caribbean Sea. The Caribbean itself is only a little more than 3 million years old, and that formed when the Isthmus of Panama closed. And so we expected maybe, since they were all in this same place, that maybe the, um, the age of this uh, bioluminescent courtship was much younger. So we were quite surprised to see how old this um, uh, actually was. So that's when the trait originated. Then we can learn more about um, this trait and the evolution of it by looking at where the parts of this trait came from. Uh, so the, uh, the approach for that, for finding, for learning about where the parts came from, is to understand the evolutionary history of the parts of this enzyme. So showing this enzyme here, this luciferase enzyme, it has two different parts called VWD domains. Um, VWD domains are parts of the protein uh, that are identifiable by their sequence. And we know that this uh, domain, this VWD domain, occurs throughout all different animals. It was first discovered, for example, in humans. 
And so we know that this domain itself is old, but we don't know how old the protein itself is, this luciferase protein. One idea might be that uh, this protein might have originated when bioluminescence itself originated. So again, we can look at the family history, comparing the species and comparing the, these genes and comparing these protein domains to learn a little bit about that, to understand the history of where these parts came from. So this shows uh, an evolutionary tree of arthropods. So ostracods, these crustaceans that I'm talking about, are one type of arthropod, but there's also hexapods like insects, um, myriapods, chalicerates like spiders, and what I wanted to understand was the history of this VWD domain throughout all these different arthropods, including ostracods. Do other arthropods have genes that look a lot like this luciferase gene? And if not, do they have VWD uh, domains that are different? We might expect that they do have VWD domains since you and I have them. And probably since the ostracod has them, then they're present all throughout. But that was a question um, that we addressed um, looking at the entire genomes of um, these, these various animals. So what it shows here is the size of the circle is proportional to the number of VWD domains present in the genome of each of these different types of species. And then we can um, estimate the history of how many were present back in the ancestors of all these different species. So you can see outside of the ostracods, there's not many VWD domains, but there are a few. But then once you get into the ostracods here, there's many VWD domains shown as the size of these, um, these pies, these circles. And so the larger the circle, the more VWD domains. So the ostracods have a lot of these. So it looks like there was this expansion of these protein domains. But what's interesting is that the luciferase protein itself, the one that catalyzes the light reaction, the one that catalyzes bioluminescence, is the only case throughout all these animals where there's two and only two VWD domains. So that means despite the fact that this domain has, was present all along since ancient times in animals, this uh, particular configuration of two and only two of these domains originated at the time of um, bioluminescence. So this probably was instrumental in the origin of bioluminescence itself. And uh, of course, it also had the, the animals also had to gain the ability to create the substrate, but we don't know um, yet how that uh, works, and we don't know yet when that originated, but we will again hypothesize at the same time here at the origin of bioluminescence. So um, the idea again here is that um, evolution came to a fork in the road, and, uh, and evolved bioluminescence, and now we can start to get at exactly genetically how this happened. We think that it was the coming together of two different protein domains that are similar to each other, but that created a whole new gene, this luciferase gene that creates the bioluminescence itself. So the take home of this part is that novelties and innovations in biology in evolution are often new combinations of really old parts. So that's exactly what happened here. VWD domains are as old as animals themselves, but it was a new combination of two of them that gave rise to uh, luciferase proteins and bioluminescence in these ostracods. The fourth question then is, does innovation at one level 
uh, spark diversification at another level. So we have this bioluminescence, and it seems like we have lots of ostracod species. Can we ask the question of whether bioluminescence itself had a part in causing more species? And we think that the answer to this is yes, that actually when bioluminescence is used for courtship, when that evolves, um, that, that leads to actually more species and um, higher numbers of species. So how did we test that or how do we establish that? Well, what I'll show is uh, a plot like this. And on the left, uh, I'm plotting the number of species in close relatives of animals that are not using bioluminescence for courtship, the number of species in that family or in that group. And then over here um, are the number of species that use bioluminescent courtship uh, and how many species are within that group. So these are each other's closest relatives. We're asking, well, when these split, when, the, when there was a fork in the road, is there more species in the group that is using bioluminescence for courtship compared to their closest relatives that don't use bioluminescence for courtship? So we've talked about these ostracods, and I've put that uh, line here on, on the plot. Um, but this is only, you know, one replicate. We can't say anything general about this. So what we did was we looked across other groups of animals, other groups of organisms, to see uh, when bioluminescent courtship arises, and it actually originated in other cases. Uh, is this generally true? And we know that bioluminescence originated over 90 different times. So this is a tree of all life. So their bioluminescence originated in fungi, in cnidarians like jellyfish, and in mollusks like um, uh, cephalopods, in many different fish, 33 different times in fishes. There's an ostracod over there, but it also originated 15 times uh, in total in, in other arthropods. So for example, fireflies are a separate invention of bioluminescence. So we're taking these as if they're experimental replicates. And so evolution created bioluminescence multiple times and created bioluminescent courtship multiple times. And we wanna ask in each case, was, is there more species in those um, groups that use bioluminescent for courtship compared to the ones that um, don't use bioluminescence for courtship. And so plot all these different cases from all these different animal groups on this uh, type of plot. And you can see in each and every case, there are more species in the groups that use bioluminescence for courtship compared to the groups that don't use bioluminescence uh, for courtship. And so we take that as strong evidence that when bioluminescent courtship has arisen during evolution, um, that it leads to more species. And one idea for why this is happening is the idea of sexual selection. And uh, sexual selection is um, competition for mates. And um, so we think the males are, are competing. Uh, females have a choice in who they mate with, and that leads to uh, more speciation. And that has been a, an idea that's been debated for a long time in evolutionary biology. And this is one of the best pieces of evidence that is consistent with that idea that when a sexually selected trait originates, it leads to more species. And we think this is good evidence for that. So each of these times, evolution took a fork in the road. And um, each of these times, you can kind of think of then uh, 
this sexual selection leading to more forks in the road. So uh, diversity at one level or a novelty at one level leading to diversity at another, another level. So the origin of bioluminescence, for example, by this mechanism of these genes, luciferase gene that I talked to you about, leading to actually the possibility of more species at this higher level of biological organization. Um, so why, uh, why do we want to study this? Uh, it, people often ask, is there some importance for humans? Well, um, for me, uh, knowledge, the knowledge in and of itself is what drives me. And you know, science works best when people are free to explore their uh, passions, when they're free to explore their curiosity. And I encourage you to, um, to uh, read this essay or watch the video recorded by my colleague Sheila Paddock. And here she is uh, showing Jeff Flake, uh, Senator Jeff Flake, her work. And Jeff Flake kind of uh, called her out for maybe accusing her of spending money frivolously, f spending federal dollars frivolously. But Sheila convinced the senator that what she's doing has important implications. And... Um, Again, the idea is that we, when we pursue science for, uh, for our own curiosity, it leads to unexpected things. And one of my favorite examples of this is a Nobel Prize um, for Dr. Shimomura. And he uh, developed this uh, protein called GFP, or green fluorescent protein. So Dr. Shimomura was fascinated, like I am, by bioluminescence. And uh, he studied that his whole career, which led him to uh, discover this protein uh, that fluoresces. So fluorescence is a little different than bioluminescence. Fluorescence changes the color of light mainly. Um, but uh, he discovered that in his pursuit of studying bioluminescence in a jellyfish. He didn't have biomedical applications in mind per se, but we now use um, GFP so often in biomedical applications to mark places uh, where that protein is. We just uh, put a light on it and we can uh, see that, uh, the, where that protein is. So it's used uh, for imaging and for, for monitoring biological processes. And so even though it's not my main um, uh, interest, uh, looking towards working with engineers who are uh, doing the same sorts of things, taking uh, bioluminescence and related chemistries and using them for applications. So this is um, Arnab Mukherjee and Emily Lau who are uh, developing some of the biochemistry from bioluminescence for biomedical applications. So in, in summary, uh, talked about a few different things, so I want to go back and summarize um, what I talked to you about today. So first of all, many traits, such as this bioluminescence that I talked to you about today, are extremely old. And uh, this was surprising to us, how old bioluminescence was. And one thing that I like to think about is the possibility of dinosaurs being able to see these uh, anti-predator displays or the courtship signals if they were you know, standing close enough to the coral reefs where these ostracods live. Um, the second thing is that bio, uh, biodiversity and complexity comes from splitting and differentiating. So uh, in other words, when, bio when biology comes to a fork in the road, it takes it. So uh, that's what leads to all this biodiversity, all this splitting at all different levels from uh, protein domains to genes themselves to traits, um, cells, and up to species. And talked about the fact that new traits 
are often new combinations of old parts. So this was exemplified by these VWD domains, which are very old, present all throughout animals, but it wasn't until they came together in a certain uh, order that they created these luciferase, the luciferase genes of ostracod crustaceans. So a great example of a new combination of old parts. And then the last thing I talked about is that novelty at one level, so the origin of um, bioluminescence, which was driven by the origin of this enzyme, luciferase enzyme, may often spark diversification at another level. So we think this origin of bioluminescent courtship um, led to more species, uh, not only in ostracods themselves, but also across all the different groups that we were able to study uh, across all different animals, finding that there are more species when we compare uh, groups with bioluminescent courtship to their closest relatives. And so I'll leave you with the words of the philosopher of baseball, Yogi Berra, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. And when I first heard this quote as a kid, I didn't think that it would lead me to uh, my understanding of the meaning of life. But here we are. And uh, leave you also with my collaborators. That's uh, Gretchen Garish, uh, Jim Morin, uh, Lisa Torres, Nico Hensley, uh, Vanessa Gonzalez, and there's Trevor Rivers and Emily Ellis. And uh, this is the team that uh, put this work together. So I'll stop there and thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.